Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Truer Love Stories. This show is really different from other shows in how it's formatted because I'm coaching people in real time about pretty vulnerable issues. So you're getting the raw experience of their emotions as they're moving through them, which I find to be super beneficial, especially when it comes to attachment work because so much of attachment work has to do with patterning that we all have. So when we're talking to people, moving through their relationships with them and their patterns in real time, we're really able to learn and grow just from hearing their experiences and relating to them in our own lives and relationships. So today's episode is for anyone who repeatedly finds themselves in relationships with people who they want to quote unquote fix somehow, meaning they have most of what you're looking for, but there are some areas that are just keeping them from being the real deal. And so maybe you linger in the relationship or give them extra time or chances, hoping that your love and nurturing and fixing fairy dust will help mold them into someone who is more committed or more available and essentially meeting all of your needs. So there's so much here and we really get into it in the episode. But if you're resonating with what I'm describing, I'm curious if you also have an anxious attachment style or if you know what your style is because this need for control essentially is very strong in anxious attachment types and we talk a lot about what that means and what characteristics of that are within the episode but just for now if you want to know your attachment style before listening to the episode you can always hop on over just hit pause right now and hop on over to my website truerlove.com and you'll see there on the first page you can you know submit and take the quiz it takes about 10 to 15 minutes you want to just really try to be as honest as you possibly can knowing that attachment is a spectrum so the style you get isn't necessarily fixed but it is really informative about how you show up in your relationships about how you feel in your relationships and about the kinds of people that you attract or are willing to put up with, so to speak. So you can do that right now if you haven't, or if you'd really just want to stay here and get into the episode, I will be going over what those characteristics are and different, you know, key qualities or feelings that anxious attachment types have, different things that we tend to do that make it so that we maybe stay with someone longer than is good for us. And that is part of the reason that we end up being with people who we might think are fixer-uppers. So there's a whole psychology behind it, and I'm super excited to get into it with our guest. So let's dive in and hear her story. Okay, thank you for being here for the Truer Love Stories podcast. I really 
thought that you had a great question because it's one I've heard many times and seen in my clients and in my own dating life, which is that you've been, you know, dating for a while now, you've just turned 30 and you have noticed that you seem to attract or engage or be attracted to people who for all you know, intents and purposes, you're calling a quote unquote fixer upper, uh, which Mm -hmm. I really take to mean as people who have a lot of potential or they're people who have certain, uh, you know, qualities or characteristics that you like, but they're not quite at that space where you feel like they're ready for a real quote unquote real relationship. Does that sound accurate to you? A fair summary? Mm A hundred percent. Okay, cool. And so if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners a little bit of backstory about kind of maybe some past situations like this, or I think you've mentioned you're in a current situation and kind of what that means to you when you say someone's a fixer upper. Yeah. So I guess my past couple of relationships are probably good examples of this. Uh, I was dating someone a couple of years ago who, you know, had all these great qualities. He seemed you know, he was really intelligent. He was really driven. He was very much into philanthropy and social justice and our values really aligned, but he was also finishing grad school and he wasn't sure if he was going to stay on the East coast or if he was going to move back West. And ultimately he did end up moving back West and really wasn't, um, emotionally prepared to do a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like He's kind of a great example of like, there was so much potential there, but he really lacked the emotional maturity that I would need in a long-term partner. And then in my current relationship, it's kind of a similar situation. He's more settled in the same city, at least, and he's, you know, further along into his career, but he's dealing with his own mental health issues and it's kind of a long journey. And so I've known this from the beginning of the relationship. Um, but he's just kind of been, you know, not super emotionally available and we've been dating for two years now. And it's like, okay, at this point, something needs to change a bit. Yeah, I hear you. And so when you say he's not super emotionally available, can you be a little more specific, like, or give us examples of what that looks like for you? Yeah. I mean, we've been dating for two years now and the L word love has never really been on the table. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we haven't even talked about, I'm about to move to go to grad school in California. And we haven't really talked about what that means for our relationship. I feel like, you know, it's kind of not so much that we're avoiding talking about the move, but that it just seems to be kind of an unspoken um, assumption that we're going to break up once I move. Okay. So it's an unspoken assumption on your part at the very least. Mm -hmm. Do you have reasons for knowing he feels that way? I think I do. I mean, he has also indicated that we want different things long-term. Like I know that eventually I want kids and he's kind of wishy-washy about it, but he's more on the side of not wanting them. And part of me is like, well, maybe this is, you know, the depression talking or what he's going through. Um, that's making it so that he can't see that as a possibility for his future. Mm-hmm. But 
at the same time, it's like, you know, he's not really taking steps to address that directly. Right, right. So there's a lack maybe of personal growth or motivation on his part with an, in regards to himself and his own mental state. Yes, exactly. And ambitions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That all sounds um, like it makes sense to me. I know we talked a little bit about the possibility that you have an anxious attachment style, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when you say that you feel like you might have an anxious attachment style, what kind of knowing the characteristics of that, you know, I'm curious what that means to you and what parts of that style stand out to you as things that resonate with you. Yeah, I think for me, there's a definite anxiety that comes when I feel like my partner's pulling away or if I feel like they're not being as receptive to my needs or um, they're just not as quick to respond to some of my needs as I would want them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are kind of the main things that I've noticed in myself and definitely more so in my prior relationship. It hasn't so much been an issue in my current one. Um, so I don't know if that means I'm making progress or it's just, it hasn't come up. (laughs) Yeah, it could mean you're making progress. I truly believe that each person we are with is a little bit closer to who we want to be with or who's right for us as we mature and we know ourselves better. We tend to choose people who incrementally are more secure or more aligned with us and, Mm -hmm. You know, and we do tend to, if we are especially are conscious, you know, growth oriented people tend to slowly move into more secure relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. we have less patience for things we maybe would have tolerated in the past. Um, But I ask that too in the context of your current relationship, because it sounds like you haven't said the L word, you haven't said that you love each Mm -hmm. other, you're not having direct or clear communication regarding what's going to happen around the move. Um, but but nothing specific has come up within the relationship that makes you feel like your needs aren't being met. So I'm curious kind of on a daily basis, like not talking about big picture things like moving in grad school, but just like your day-to-day interactions with your partner. Do you feel that he hears you, acknowledges you, meets your needs? I think like 80% he does. And the other 20% is things like, you know, if I'm going through a stressful situation at school or at work or something, um, he doesn't always know how to sit with that because I think he's, you know, not very equipped to handle it. He'll be supportive and he'll say, oh, that's so tough. But then he'll kind of quickly change the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, When really I just need somebody who's going to be like, you know, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know, or who will take initiative to do something to help me out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also I'm at a point where, you know, we mostly just see each other on the weekends at this point. And I'm moving into a phase of my life where I think I would really enjoy having more consistent contact and like a partner, you know? Yeah, yeah. Totally. That makes sense. You know, that's what we ultimately want, right? Is someone who can support us every day. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what would you say has kept you with him for two years? (laughs) To be honest, the pandemic. (laughs) 
I think our relationship would look very different now because I was really dependent on him during the pandemic. Like I don't have a car. I live in Boston where I didn't really need a car prior to last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had a car. So that was helpful in, you know, getting me out of my apartment. And I think also I have this move kind of on the horizon for school but it keeps getting pushed back because the campus isn't opening and things keep shifting. So I'm always just kind of like, well, it doesn't make sense to, for me to start dating here in Boston if, you know, I'm just going to be moving in a few months. Yeah. 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 And would you say that you have been in the situation before, I know you've mentioned you've had fixer uppers before, but would you say that you've stuck with people longer than maybe you, I don't want to say should have, cause I try really hard to not use the word should, but basically longer than your intuition knew was right for you. Definitely. Yeah. My last relationship, the one immediately prior to my current one, we were only together for about 10 months, but even just a few months in, I noticed some things that were not going well and just things that we weren't aligning on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I tried to stick it out. I was always like, well, maybe if I can be more accommodating, if I can be more communicative. And I always kind of turned it around on myself until the very end, at which point I was just like, okay, no, this is not me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a sign of anxious attachment too, is that kind of self-blame, you Mm. know, Um, and trying to be the one to fix things. And so that kind of brings it all back to is that anxiously attached people often are people pleasers or or people who see potential in people because we see the good and we want to connect. And I say this every episode, but I have an anxious attachment. So I, I like to say we, because by and large, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and are part of this community share that style. But there's kind of what another one of my clients and I call her savior complex, kind of this feeling like, because truly anxiously attached people our superpower is being empathetic and being super in tune with other people's needs and just being very warm and open and loving, which is what makes us really, truly amazing partners. However, it's that fine line between overcompensating and giving so much that we're not leaving space for that other person to show us who they really are, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So... I think it sounds like in that desire, like when you you see people and you see this potential, you think, well, they're not giving me what I need, but maybe there's something more I can do to enable them to give me what I need. Right. And, and, you know, look, relationships are not a one-way street and they do take work. And I think that it's admirable when you're able to look at yourself and be, you know, self uh, reflective and acknowledge, you know, where can I grow? Where am I not doing my best? You know, but there's a certain point where we can only take care of so much and we can only really take responsibility for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Like taking responsibility for ourselves in the context of a relationship. That means that we are in tune with ourselves and our intuition, right? So that's the very first thing. So when you're having 
those feelings of I'm not okay with this. I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable. You find yourself worrying a lot or trying to control the situation. Those are all indicators that your needs aren't being met. Mm. And so the first thing to take responsibility for is just acknowledging that within yourself, you know, which sounds easy in theory or like makes sense in theory. But I think sometimes when we have feelings for someone and we really want it to work out, and this is another indicator of that anxious attachment is we become preoccupied with the relationship and with the way that it unfolds with the end. We want, we see that destination in our head and that's just the nature of anxiety. It's future focused. So kind of we block out, like we don't want to admit sometimes, I think, and and tell me if you resonate with this, because I don't want to, you know, tell you how you feel, but in terms of patterning and, and what I've seen, you know, it's that We don't want to sometimes admit that our needs aren't getting met when it's someone we want it to work out with, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like trying to fix it is our own deflection by to not admit that we're not getting our needs met because we think that we can, like our anxiety is channeled into trying to control our needs getting met. Does that make sense? Mm, That does make sense. And I think definitely in my last relationship that was happening. I mean, that was a little bit more complex because there was definitely some um, control and like emotional abuse and manipulation happening from him. So I feel like it just compounded my kind of, like you said earlier, the savior complex. I was like, oh, he's saying that I'm not giving him all of these things. So I should be trying harder, Mm. but it's like. "Mm." So he kind (laughs) of just almost um, reaffirmed something that you already were naturally going to do. And so that makes sense that it kind of has stuck with you that it's your responsibility to do these things in a relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think even too, as women were so used to being the caretakers, you know, there's a lot that goes into why you might feel that way. And so I want to kind of release you of that responsibility today at the very <laughs> least, if there's like one thing that you come away from this with is that you are not responsible for the way that they show up in your relationship, right? Mm. That's what makes it equitable is that each person in the relationship has to take responsibility for showing up in it. Yeah. You know, so you can only do so much as to know your needs and communicate them in the best way that you can. And that is fair as far as you feel, you know, Um, and then the same with him, you know, And so that's, I think, the very first thing I would say here. Um, And so then, and you know, that might be a process too of like freeing yourself from that, right? Like it's kind of something that you're not going to probably just wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm free of all response, you know, (laughs) like, but I think it's something that when you're aware of it, you know, you'll start noticing it in situations with him or conversations. Where Mm -hmm. am I going past my center? Where am I going out of balance for this person? You know, and like, if we think about it in terms of the archetype of the savior, right? Like all archetypes can either be dark or light. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to be someone who like cares for someone. Like that's the light side of the savior, you know, in as much as you feel still secure and safe and comfortable giving that, right? So it's obviously we don't want to stop giving, but it's giving to the point of where it feels exhausting or where it's, you know, like taking away from your 
life source and energy and happiness that Mm -hmm. it becomes to, you know, that dark side where we're giving too much. And so I would just start by like observing in everyday situations with him, where is that balance, you know? And when you notice that you're not in balance, is there a way I can, I can bring this up to him? Or is it worth having this discussion? Is it something that needs to be discussed? You know? So do you have any questions about any of that or thoughts? No questions. I, I felt kind of like a full body warmth when you said that, because Mm -hmm. it definitely does feel at times. And I think I am noticing that I'm more cognizant of it in the current relationship where I'm like, okay, if, he's not going to meet me in the middle here, then I'm not going to kind of overstep that boundary or that threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think past me really used to do that. And so I just hearing you say that made it feel like, okay, it's, you know, not my fault that I did this in the past and I'm learning from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just something to be aware of. Exactly. And yes, and I love that, like that self-forgiveness, you know, because I do think that sometimes when we repeat patterns, it's because we can't forgive ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and so like the pattern is fueled by our own anger at ourselves or our own hope to prove to ourselves that we're different now, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what you just did, which is accepting it and realizing like, This is your journey to self-awareness, you know, and to me, that's what's so fascinating about working in the realm of relationships is that we actually learn so much about ourselves through these really intimate relationships and, and there's such a opportunity for growth there um, and self-discovery. And so, yeah, and that's why I think each person we've learned a little, we move on and then new things come up that we're not ready for. And it's like, okay, am I going to meet this moment and, and see myself and try and grow from it? And can that person do that with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and that to me is where we start getting into more secure dynamics. And, and so going back to like the fixer upper thing, you know, and people's potential, like, I'm curious if you could say, you know, what someone who wasn't a fixer-upper, who is ready for you? Like, what would they look like to you? I think that person would be secure in who they are, not, you know, static in that and still growing, but have a solid foundation of what they want in life and, you know, be at least progressing towards getting that. Um, a clear, you know, idea of their vision and their values and what they're looking for in a partner. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I am looking for someone who would be willing to not just willing, but who would be excited to form a partnership and have, you know, somebody to build a life with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are all really great things to look for. And I would say the third one is probably the most important. Mm. And, and it's interesting because I think, I think a few things are true. I think, and this is a total stereotype and generalization, so I'm just going to put it out there now. But I also think that there's a little bit of truth in it based on how we're socialized, you know. Um, obviously, different people fall into just different gender roles, right? So, but in terms of like heteronormative cis relationships, men are very socialized to be the provider, you know, even mm-hmm. in our modern age, you know, it's like there's, we're in this weird transition where like men and women and, you know, 
people acknowledging different genders know that these old rules are outdated and stagnant. But when you've been ingrained with it for all your life, it's very hard to break to a certain degree, right? And mm-hmm. I think that men specifically have this pressure because women, and you know, again, totally gender stereotyping, but we are looking at our because those are signs of someone being ready to be in a relationship, right? That they mm-hmm. have a job, that they have steady money, that they're at a good place in their life, right? Those are all signals to us. So men are very much when they're not fully in that space that they're comfortable with financially or with their path, they're very slow sometimes to commit, you know? And, and so I think there is a lot of truth to being with someone who, you know, it doesn't mean that they have their dream job or that they're at the end of their line in their life. Cause you know, you want to have a life with them and life is about growth. Right. So, but it's, it's that mental space of, I want to be in a relationship. I'm ready, you know? Right. Um, I met my husband on Tinder and the one line I remember of all his profile was, I have my shit together in a really good way. And let me tell you, I did not, (laughs) I was not in the habit of dating people who had their shit together. Okay. Like that was not (laughs) my jam usually. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just, and I mean, there was more about his profile, obviously, but like I got the vibe from him that he was there and he was ready. And I liked the way that he was thinking about it, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that dating him then was such a different experience from dating someone who was not in that mental space, you know? Right. And the thing is going back to your control, like we cannot control what mental space our partner is going to be in. We can support them and who they are, but at the end of the day, they have to be in a space that I actually had a, someone I was dating say this to me once, like we, you don't have as much control as you think you do. We like, (laughs) we have more control, you know, but we don't. And so, you know, there are certain things I think that you can look for when you're dating people to see what mental space are they in around a relationship. And that doesn't just have to look like, you know, are you ready for a relationship and saying it's like, it's more in their actions than in their words, basically, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people who you might meet who say they're in that space. Yes. I want a relationship, you know, or I want one eventually. And, and like, it's hard in the beginning of a relationship when you don't know someone to say, yes, I'm ready to commit to you. Right. But mm-hmm. when someone's serious, there's certain things they'll do, which is they will be consistent. They will make an effort. They will follow up, you know, like all the things mm-hmm. you kind of expect from friends. Right. And so it's less about like, are they at a place in, that's perfect and that they're just like, okay, I'm ready to get married? No, but it's in the way that they treat you every day. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? That does make sense. And I love that you said, you know, the things that we would expect from a friend, like some of the things that have happened when I'm dating, I'm just like, how do you treat people like this? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah. So that's a really great benchmark to keep in mind. It's like, would I accept this behavior from a friend? Probably not. Isn't it interesting how, yeah, we wouldn't, but we make exceptions for. Oh yeah. I'm the queen of that. <laughs> I, I know what that feels like too. It's, and it's, it's common, you know, and, and I think that that really goes back to that self-worth piece of being validated and that, oh, well, this person's showing me attention and interest and that's really validating for me. And so we kind of let that wound guide us a little bit. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And even though maybe our intuition is saying like, wait, I don't like how I'm being treated. And so I'm curious, Mm -hmm. I know you, you know, are in the wellness space for work, but I'm curious, like, what kind of intuitive practices do you have right now to really like strengthen your intuition and get in touch with it regularly? Yeah, I am an Akashic Records reader. So I do that once a week for myself, but you know, that's kind of a, I need to have questions in mind to ask as opposed to just more, um, whatever guidance I need to receive. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I need to be incorporating something a little less directive because I might not even Mm -hmm. know what questions to ask about my relationships or see the blocks that I'm encountering. Yes. I think that's a very, um, intuitive, (laughs) uh, (laughs) note for you to make about yourself. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, have, have you heard how like prayer is asking something and meditation is listening for it? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And so I almost, you know, if we're likening the Akashic records to prayer right now, I mean, it's a little bit of both because there's the ask and then there's the listen, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I would say maybe lean into that listening more into the meditation piece where it's not guided and there's different, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, but there's different kinds of practices where it's more about just sitting and and seeing what comes up. Vipassana is a really great one for that. I don't know if you're at all familiar, but I have some meditations on that if you want them. And and also journaling. Do you journal at all? You know, I have a love-hate relationship with journaling and I, I think I avoid it when something is kind of touchy and like, I just, you know, I don't want to go there. Existence. Exactly. So yes, I should journal more. (laughs) I think that that I'm actually getting the chills right now, which is um, someone I know calls them truth tingles. And I think (laughs) that that's the best description I've ever heard of them because when something's really true, it's like, I think that that is exactly when you should journal, when you feel resistance to it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And when you know there's something you don't want to know the answer to, that is your intuition trying to like push through for you, I think you know? Yeah. And I'm really a fan of just freestyle journaling, you know, stream of consciousness, whatever comes up. Are you familiar at all with the artist's way? Yeah, I actually have a copy of it. It's sitting somewhere in my apartment. Um, so I need to <laughs> dig into that. <laughs> I feel like everyone has a random copy of the artist's way just <laughs> yes. sitting somewhere in a corner. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but the biggest takeaway I got from the artist's way was the morning pages. Mm -hmm. where, you know, because their whole thing is, or her whole thing, I believe, it's a woman who wrote it and is really the practitioner, um, is that, you know, to be artistic or to be creative, which she likens to, she says, you know, in my opinion, creativity is spiritual. It's, It's God, it's universe. You know, we are all creation, you know. And so it's really focusing on artists who need to access that spiritual space all the time, right? And Mm. so the idea is with morning pages is that we all wake up with shit in our heads and things on our mind and just, you know, modern day human stuff. Mm. And that the idea is that every morning, she says for three pages handwritten, now I've turned to typing because my hand would start hurting. So I don't think you have (laughs) to do that. But I know that there is scientific studies showing that we process more subconsciously when we handwrite. So you can Mm -hmm. decide which way you would want to go with that. And you can do three pages or I tell some clients like give it 10, you know, minutes a day and literally anything that comes to you. And it might be your limiting beliefs. It might be saying like, 
you're so stupid, you know, like it's kind of your critic, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's getting it out so that you just see it and it helps you start processing and getting more in touch with your intuition. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm having these visions of what I need to be doing with my mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that writing in the morning would be great for me. I also have really vivid dreams. So I feel like mm -hmm. being able to get those out on paper and like, yeah. look back at them and see, okay, are there recurring themes here? Yeah. <laughs> that would be helpful. That's a great idea. I mean, yeah, people say dream journals are great. I struggle to remember, but if you do them, like as soon as you wake up, um, that's mm -hmm. the best thing, the best time. But I love that idea. You know, I think getting in the habit of that and then, you know, naturally, you know, things might come up around your current partner. And because, I mean, to me, I feel like you already know what is the situation with him, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you seem like you're a little resolved to breaking up. What is that on Yeah, point? I, whenever I talk to friends about it, I'm like, I'm like 95%, you know, resigned to us breaking up when I move. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe 5% of me is still holding out hope that something will change, but you know, yeah, I think that that hope percentage is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> and not yeah. in a bad way, just in a, yeah, no realistic, like I'm ready to find someone who's more on the same page. Yeah. Well, what is that 5%? Like what specifically do you think would have to change to like close that 5% gap? I think that it would have to be on him. You know, he would have to have a change of heart and be like, actually, you know, I do think I would make a great father one day and I am actively working to get my depression under control. Um, but yeah, I just like, I, I know what it's like to be in that space. And so I don't mm. want to put that timeline and that pressure on him if that's not where he's organically going to be. Meaning you don't want to say, you don't want to give him an ultimatum essentially. Yeah. 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 Okay. I understand that. Um, but do you think like, when are you moving out to California? Again, it's up in the air. I was planning on moving out for October, but now I don't know how many of my classes are going to be online and I've got to sell my condo here. So it may be October, it may be January. I see. And yeah. so are you kind of just thinking you'll be with him until you leave? And then like once things are finalized, you'll have that conversation? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm envisioning. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that in these situations, you know, it's so personal. So definitely what I'm about to say, I would take with a grain of salt. But if you feel that this is weighing on you a little, like the anticipation of that discussion or decision as you're trying to get your life together and your work and everything, mm. you know, a way to really, I definitely, I understand not giving them an ultimatum and I don't think that's the route to go anyway. I'm not a huge fan of ultimatums, but there's a difference between ultimatums and saying this isn't right for me anymore. Yeah. It's, it's not a choice, but it's a stepping away, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's again, personal, for you to just, you know, only you can determine what am I getting out of this? And is it enough for me to want to stay during this period? Or is being with him weighing on me enough that 
maybe I'm not going to break up with him right away, but I'm going to open the door to the discussion about this is what's been on my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and and giving in a way you're actually like Brene Brown says, clear as kind. So mm-hmm. by, by bringing it up for discussion, if it hasn't been discussed, you know, what's mm-hmm. happening when you move, it's almost preparing him mentally because if he's going to be, maybe he's not thinking, I mean, you don't actually know, right? You know, it's going to prepare him mentally for, are we going to break up? And do I need to be, you know, especially if he's someone who deals with depression, I think giving him that little heads up that this is on your mind at least, and you haven't made yeah. a decision, but allows him to really have some time to sink into how, what he actually feels about it, you know? And I think that's how you will get your most accurate answer. And you might be right and, and know that it's just because X, Y, and Z, and it's not going to work out. And I want someone who is more available for me and that, and that's fine, you know? Um, but I think that that process of doing it incrementally versus just like one time, like, I think we need to break up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it just helps you both process it more and know that it's the right thing and will give you the answers. Maybe that 5%, you know, that you're looking for will help you be completely sure when and if you walk away, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess we have talked about it a bit. And to me, I've definitely gotten the impression from him that he's like, okay with us, you know, transitioning into friendship or something after I move. Mm-hmm. Um but then he'll say things like, oh, I want to come visit you when you move out there and we can go to a concert together. I'm like, okay, in what capacity? So <laughs> yeah, I just need to clarify that. Like yeah. in what capacity? I absolutely would encourage you to do that. And I would say that if he makes any other comments like that, it's okay in the moment to ask that question. Like if there's mm-hmm. confusion for you when he says things like that, for you to say, well, what do you mean by that? Or what does that mm-hmm. look like for you? You know? Because these are the tools that help you determine if someone's going to be right for you. So even if it's not him, being able to do that next time when you start seeing someone, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that sounds like a good plan. And then going forward into just not repeating that pattern again, I would say your intuition is the biggest piece of that, you know. Mm. And so many times I talk to people who are like, yeah, well, I knew after three months he wasn't right, but I stayed with him for eight. (laughs) And there's, I think that there's a fear there around like, I won't find someone else who's better. Mm -hmm. Again, rooted in self-worth, you know, that I couldn't. And so, yeah, I would get clear on what someone being ready looks like to you, how you would want to feel in their presence. What what were things they would do to make you feel that they were ready, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm like how they would treat you, things they would say, things they would do, you know, and to just keep up that intuition practice so that whether that's because you're using it, you know, to help you sort through your current relationship or your next one to really trust it because our our intuition is rooting for us and knows our worth. (laughs) So it's just a matter of like hearing it and trusting it. Yeah. And I think that is such a good point. Like I... There have been so many times in my past where I've done that, where I've pushed aside my intuition because I'm like, oh, am I being too critical or, you know, too sensitive or all of these things that I think as an empath and like a lifelong introvert, I've been told my whole life mm-hmm. from various sources. So it is interesting to see when it plays out in a relationship that I'm so quick to fall back into that. Oh, it's me. Oh, I'm being too sensitive, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but 
yeah, I'm an intuitive in so many other areas of my life that it's just like so interesting to me that I'm so quick to dismiss my intuition when it comes to relationships. (laughs) You're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) And there's so much there. That's why it's so interesting to unpack because it's like, I'm so aware and I'm so confident and so like intuitive in all these areas. Why can't I do it in this situation? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's because it's such a vulnerable situation that we get extra triggered extra easily. And there's so much like past stuff from either relationships or familial relationships, friendships, because our attachment is present in all of those relationships. So it's a similar trigger, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's a lot to weed through and it takes time to really sink into like knowing like how it's showing up in your relationships, noticing how you respond and then what to do about it. Is this stuff helpful? Is it, are you feeling like more clear? Definitely. Definitely. I'm inspired to start my morning pages habit. (laughs) Good. And I think just having another kind of person to bounce these things off of is helpful in reflecting back some of what I maybe know, but didn't want to consciously acknowledge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I got the truth tingles again just now. (laughs) Um, It's yeah, that is the more you practice that, just that action alone, like acknowledging something you don't want to, like that Mm -hmm. act alone, whether it's about your relationship or yourself or anything, just getting the habit of being honest, I think it makes it easier, you know? And can I just say too, though, being too sensitive, like that is such a shadowy aspect right there that Mm -hmm. people who are like (laughs) sensitive, defining it like (laughs) emotional, you know, and have feelings, oh, that has been so shamed, I think, as weakness when that in, that sensitivity itself is your intuition. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's telling yeah. you that like your needs are not being met for whatever reason. But it's like, we don't want to admit that because it feels shameful, right? That like, right. I'm being sensitive right now. And yeah, just like sitting with that and like, you know, in that moment, accepting it, you know, accepting I feel sensitive right now, or I feel maybe don't use that hot word, but like, or you use it enough so that it kind of loses meaning, right? Yeah, I'm sensitive, like owning it, like reclaiming it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think doing that, and then also like w- when you're in a triggered state, I mean, you know, or worried about something. And then also noticing, like, I think that part of the anxiously attached person who wants to be a good person and a good partner, ask yourself that question, like, what can I take responsibility for right now? And what should I not be taking responsibility for right now? Mm, mm -hmm. Does that feel good to you? Yes, that makes so much sense. And I wish I had had this clarity in my last relationship. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it will definitely be helpful going forward because as I start to think about dating, I'm like, I really... I'm done with this pattern. Like I would like to be done with this pattern. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are putting that energy out there. You are declaring to the universe. I am done with this pattern. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now you might get tested though. And there might be people who remind you who you fall into this pattern again. So just try not to be mad at yourself. If you end up dating someone in the future and you notice you fall into the pattern, the true test is, can I notice it? And can I change it? quicker than I did before. 
Can I bounce right. back faster and learn faster? You know, mm-hmm. like, so yeah, like managing that expectation of I'm not going to just leave and be perfect about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good yeah. point too. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope it's helpful. I'd love to hear how it all goes. Your big move, the trajectory of your current relationship, you know, please keep me posted about it all. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you'd like to share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, your support would mean so much to me. Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify as well as follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. You can also join my mailing list and book a free love guidance consultation with me at truerlove.com. In the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.